0: Welcome to the Gospel Journey Podcast. The Gospel Journey exists to help our people get into discipling relationships that are centered on God's Word and led by His Spirit. Today we'll be in week three of Path 8, the book of Hebrews. My name is Jamie Trussell, and today we'll be joined by one of our elders and executive pastor, Bill Garner. All right, this week, week three, we'll be navigating our way through Hebrews chapters five and six. Certainly hope that your Gospel Journey groups or your Bible study groups uh, here at Harvest are uh, being a blessing to you. And this podcast will continue to be a resource to help you navigate God's Word together. Just going to begin by reading the first three verses of chapter five here, Bill. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can, speaking of the priest, deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those. Of the people now, uh, just to pick up a little bit thematically through Hebrews so far, we have uh, this author presumably writing back to his congregation or a people that he's familiar with, and one of the main thrust is exhorting his people not to leave the faith, uh, specifically not to leave the faith and return to uh, the worship patterns of Judaism. And one of his arguments in that is that Jesus is superior. So we've already seen thus far in Hebrews he's superior to Moses, he's superior to angels. Uh, And now we're going to see that Jesus is superior even to the Old Testament priesthood. And that's what he begins to unpack here. And and just to make these first three verses, uh, I, I think, a little more relevant just for our everyday living, I love the perspective that the priest, the Old Testament priest, should have been able to deal compassionately, or the word here is gently, with the people. Why? Because the priest himself was beset With weakness and Bill, I think even from a church leadership standpoint, it's it's a good perspective to remember, as elders or pastors or staff, as we minister to people, that we're beset with the same weaknesses that uh, the entirety of the church is, and as a as a good reminder and a good catalyst to being gentle. But furthermore, every Christian to each other, as Peter tells us, we're all a priesthood to deal
1: gently with one another.
0: Why remembering we too. Are also sinful.
1: Yeah, Jamie, I think it's interesting how in the Old Testament, uh, even the reminders we have about the priest himself—that uh, that the priest himself was not just offering sacrifices for the sins of the people, but he also had his own sins that he was he was offering sacrifices for. And it is a good reminder that uh, that all of us. Um, have struggles. In fact, James tells us that we all, we all struggle in many ways. We, we sin in many ways. And um, I don't think any of us has to be reminded um, very often of the failure and the, the need that we have for Christ. And I think that helps. It actually helps. It's more of that uh, when people are, are studying the Word and they're studying under someone, I think there's a greater connection when they when the person they're studying under or is teaching them uh, there's an empathy that that they feel mm-hmm. uh, and a commonality that 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 person is aware that that they're just like them in the sense yep. that we all have that need for for a savior yeah and that i think honestly would add a lot of
0: depth and strength to our gospel journey groups if it if it's not just a time where we get together and maybe technically discuss what we read in the bible that week but in in real time how is god's word moving us towards confession and repentance in those times so that we are gentle and and compassionate towards one another as we push each other towards holiness
1: yeah you know um i I guess you guys studied hebrews or talked about hebrews 4 last week but i think there's that grace great verse in hebrews chapter 4 that talks about the word of god and how it's uh um, it's living and active and sharpening, two edges toward piercing mm-hmm. as far as divisions of soul and spirit, both joint and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And so anytime you're reading God's word, there's going to be, hopefully there should be at least a, an awareness or a conviction of sin yep. in your own life. And, and uh, you know, it's the one thing, it's like a it's like a mirror looking into it where you actually, as you look at God's word, you actually you know if you meditate on it like one of the sermons recently kenan talked about just meditating on god's word it really helps to 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 uh uh, the the word actually uh, points to your sin it it'll show Mm -hmm. you where your sin is it makes it more visible it brings light to uh the areas that that we struggle with and and also brings comfort in knowing that that Because of what the word says, we can go to the Lord and take our confess our sins to Him.
0: That's right. Uh, I think it's also in Hebrews four. It says we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. Yes, Um, simply because of who Jesus is and what He did for us. Now, I took us on a little bit of a tangent there. Probably good to back up because as He's making this point, He's making the point ultimately that Jesus is the superior priest. So, in general terms, uh, the duty of a priest in the Old Testament, if I can oversimplify it was to make the human connection to god visible and they did that through many means uh, largely the sacrificial system and so the priest was showing the people what was required in a sense for them to be reconciled or connected back to god what did god demand and god appointed a man a mediator as it were called a priest to show that to the people so ultimately the author is going to say well that was good and true under the old covenant and the new covenant there is a greater priest, one that came to make the perfect picture of the of God's connection to humanity
1: visible, and that's the God-man, Jesus. That's correct. And, um, you know, the priest, the role of the priest in the Old Testament, as you uh, stated, Jamie, was in a visible way, he, he would take the sacrifice. And, and there was so much structure and so much, uh, there were so many guidelines given to the to the process and how it was to how it was to actually be done, what where it was to be done, what he was to wear, when it was to be done, and and uh, the different types of sacrifice that were given uh, uh, up for the people and their sins, but not only theirs but also for the high priest as well. And uh, but he did; he acted as their their mediator or the, the the representative. He in a representative way he went before God for for the people. Uh, and uh but he was again as we've said he he was a, an imperfect That's mediator right. an imperfect representative right and the people knew that too because they they actually lived among those right those uh priests right which again sets
0: Jesus apart for the fact that he was sinless he wasn't he was not beset with he was beset with the same weakness in the sense of he was human He was not beset with the same weakness as far as actually performed and was given into sin. Right, he didn't have to make atonement for his own sins. That's exactly right. Um, This chapter five is going to start introducing us to a character as as he's walking through the idea of the priesthood of Melchizedek, known to his friends as Big (laughs) Keasy. Now, this guy. Yeah, well, it's in the other translation. That we don't use, uh, we're going to get to him in a little more detail in chapter seven, and so we're not going to spend a lot of time this week on Melchizedek himself. But just to set it up, uh, uh, there are two Old Testament priesthoods, as it were, that have their origin in the Old Testament. You have the Levitical priesthood, uh, which kind of flows from the lineage of Aaron. And you have what the author of Hebrews here is going to call the Melchizedekian priesthood, which is going to find its origin and order in Melchizedek. Interestingly enough, that priesthood only goes from Melchizedek to Jesus, and the Levitical priesthood is, is traced through the, the tribe of, the, of Levi to the Old Testament. And those are the two things he's going to be comparing and contrasting as he moves forward. But we're going to get to that later. We're setting our table for it now, Bill. The next thing I do think could be helpful, there's a really confusing uh, couple of verses here in chapter 5 that may be uh, beneficial for us to unpack for a few minutes uh, this morning. And that is beginning in verse 8, speaking of Jesus, it says, Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, Verse 9, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. This is confusing or can be confusing because we hold the position, and rightly so, that Jesus was fully God. Now, if he's fully God, it means he is perfect, and it means that he knows everything. And so he doesn't need to learn anything. He doesn't need to be made perfect. Uh, So what does it mean to talk about Jesus in this way, and we also have to remember that not only was he fully God, but he was fully human. And a lot of times when we hit these kinds of passages in Hebrews, it is with Jesus' humanity
1: that's squarely in view. Right, and I think that's, that's what this voice, verse really points toward is the, the human experience of Christ. Mm. And that um, while he was fully God and fully man, he had never been fully man before. And so he didn't all of a sudden start becoming obedient to God, uh, uh, and I guess you guys can get in that when you talk about the the Trinity and and uh, and the how the Trinity works. We're going to talk uh, about the Trinity not today, oh. uh, but uh, that'll be for one of the brighter guys to talk about. But the uh, the, the knowledge I think it's talking about is it's more like a, t- the firsthand knowledge you get when you experience something. Yep. And so I think, as Jesus experienced humanity, uh, he was fully obedient, but he also uh, was fully experiencing the human element and what obedience looked like even in the face of of uh, of of suffering that's right. and conflict and uh, that's that's what I think this refers to that there's a uh, a, a greater learning that comes from the experience. And when he says being made perfect, it wasn't
0: that Christ was imperfect and had to work his way to perfection. That idea of being made perfect, it probably better translated, is brought to completion. The work that Christ had to accomplish in his humanity couldn't be brought to completion without his obedience and suffering.
1: Exactly. Exactly. I think that even in the suffering and the obedience that he, uh, as he obeyed his father uh, in the face of even greater temptation or greater suffering, that there was a, there was deeper learning or intimacy that came with that. Yeah. And to segue out of uh,
0: maybe this chapter here to our, to our own world, uh, it's still look I'm guilty of this too. It's amazing how, how how much i don't approximate what was true of jesus should somehow be true of me so the experiential fact of suffering and hardship bringing about in real time experience intimacy and closeness and christ likeness in my own walk with god i don't usually connect those dots in real time
1: yeah right and i think that uh, the the uh, for for most christians that you know there's a there's a big difference between knowing about something and knowing knowing someone, and I think even with scripture, um, you know, there's there's uh, the learning process where where we learn the word of God and and we know what the word of God says, but there's a deeper uh, learning that takes place when when we actually have to go out and apply what we know about God's word in real real time real life, and so. So that's that's probably uh, for us. I think the the application for us as believers is, is that um, we, you know, we're we're not just trying to learn facts about God's word. So we have some type of enso- yeah. uh, mental encyclopedia at the same place. But we're trying to learn how to live in a different way and apply what we know from God's word, and that's that uh, incrementally increases the 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 knowing of God's word. Well, and it's interesting that biblically considered, and you know,
0: I don't hold Paul to write Hebrews, some do, we don't ultimately know, but even in Paul's letters in the New Testament, when he uses the idea of knowledge or knowing, it actually is, is almost always connected to experience. Exactly. Making the point, you don't really know that you know unless that informs how you interact
1: in real time in real ways that's exactly and that's the ultimate end of knowing something is not just to have a fact or information you know knowledge is power Mm -hmm. and some people use their knowledge in a powerful way to lord over other people or use it for their own benefit but the knowing of god's word is really ultimately so that we can know him better and actually uh represent him in a way that's that's attractive to a world that's lost and 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 needs something and knows that they need something different yeah, and that segues perfectly
0: to the next section here, really from the rest of chapter 5 into chapter 6, that is about Christian growth and maturity. This knowledge component we're discussing is is central to that because it's a, it's a myth, and I wholeheartedly believe this, that just because you've read a lot of books or studied a lot of Scripture or done a lot of Bible studies, your intellectual uh, uh, conceptualization, of Christianity may have grown leaps and bounds, and yet you may be just as immature as you ever were. So learning conceptually does not equal Christian maturity, and that's one of the things the author is about to point out here. It's it's yes, we're learning God's word, but only once God's word informs how we're truly living is it going to be say you're actually growing in Christ. And so as as he says here, he begins to warn his people. Uh, and part of the thing that he's frustrated with is, is and this is me paraphrasing, beginning in chapter uh, 5, verse 11, all the way through the end of chapter uh, of the chapter, is I shouldn't have to keep teaching you the same thing over and over and over and over. That's why he uses this analogy of, of milk and solid food. He says, look, if I have to keep teaching you the same thing, uh, you're still on milk. By now, his expectation is: if you would have been growing in Christ, then you could be able to digest solid food. Now, that's an analogy of us growing up, uh, uh, as infants into adolescence into adulthood. Is look, kids start off only on milk; they can't digest anything else. It would kill them. But as even you know, I got three little ones right now, and so I got a I got you know little baby right now still just on milk. As she gets older. She should be, if something's wrong, if when she's three, she's still only drinking milk. We would look at that and say something's way off there. But the question is, what about in our discipling relationships or our churches and with our members and with one another, do we tolerate uh, a spiritual life that still looks like somebody's just on milk when that maybe also shouldn't be the case?
1: That's a good point, Jamie. Um, And I think there's so many Christians that... Um, I, I call them um, professional weaker brothers <laughs> <you> know, that, <laughs> that have uh, lived their whole life drinking milk and, and never gone through any type of process of, of growth or maturation in the Word. They're still uh, living um, in, in almost uh, complete misunderstanding of the basic principles of, mm-hmm. of, of Scripture, but I think what if you you know the analogy here is of children growing up, mm-hmm. and so the implication is is that uh, of course when we first when we first start the Christian uh, life when when we uh, when we're regenerated and we come into a relationship with Christ we're made alive by Him that there is a a nourishment that we need that we get from God's Word yes and and we can't parse the the uh, more difficult passages at that point in our lives because we had no context and and no real understanding. So we start with the simple things, and we start to understand those simple principles, the elementary, elementary truths of, of of our faith. Uh, and uh, I think uh, to, to quote R.C. Sproul, uh, who certainly had influence in my life, not personally but just through his writings, that, that there are first principles that we have to learn as mm. believers, but we use those principles to build upon. And uh, as we said before in this text, that there's a there's a big part that life plays in that. Because if That's we're exactly right. if we're sitting in a room with all Christians and we're all studying the Word and all agreeing with it, then there's no there's no real testing of our faith that takes place. That's right. And so, when when uh, the the child image is is the child begins with these first principles, the milk. But at some point, you know, the child uh, teeth come in, and you can you can you can chew your food instead that's of drinking right. your food. That's and right. And those are expected things. And it's a great analogy to to use that that at some point, you know, as Christians, you know, you got to look back at your life and go, if I move past this this stage of just drinking milk. Now, I can still drink milk occasionally. I have to go back to the first principles occasionally. Yep. But if I'm constantly going go back to, the, to those, then I'm not growing and I'm not maturing and I'm not developing in my Christian walk. And some of that might have to do with the way that I'm not living it out in my, in my life. Well, I think it's directly related to that because if you look at verse 14, he makes this point, solid food
0: is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice, all this is practical living, to distinguish good from evil. And so just to draw a little bit of a line so uh, I don't confuse people, What I'm, the point I'm trying to make is moving from milk to solid food isn't necessarily, okay, I've, I've finished my Christian Primer 101 and now I can discuss the finer points of theology or Calvinism or Arminianism or any other nerd words we want to throw out there this morning that isn't necessarily moving from solid food or from milk to solid food now it may be but it's not necessarily the point here is how does he know his people have progressed in maturity their lives show that in real time they're able to navigate what is good right and true according to God's word and make the decisions that are appropriate to claiming to follow
1: Jesus so what what we're saying, I think, is, is that there's a difference between just debating theology with other theologians, and uh, a difference between that and actually taking your theology out and living in, in a community uh, of people where there might be more disagreement, and there also uh, you have to flesh it out. That's right. It's not that talking theology is
0: bad. It's just when we assume that the more theology we learn, the more mature we become. And I'm and I think we're both saying that's not necessarily true.
1: Yeah, it's not necessarily true, and it's it's uh, encouraging to me uh, to to read people like, um, like uh, Tim Keller who talks about this in his book on prayer, where he says, you know, for all you know, this is in his fifties. He he basically says he did not learn uh, what how to pray or really pray very well until he was in his fifties, and he said that he knew theology. He knew theology, and he could defend theology, and and I'm certain, I'm sure that he lived a life that uh, in uh, that actually uh, where he did grow and develop and was maturing. But he says that later in his 50s, he, he got to a place where he didn't want just to just know theology. He wanted to experience his theology. Yeah, that's a great line. And, and that to me is, you know, that's of fraud. Which means you of,
0: had to know it. He didn't need yeah, to know it.
1: Had to know it. Right. And, and it didn't mean he hadn't experienced any of it either. Right. But he did say that, that was there's a there's a connection between knowing it and experiencing. And for a, for a man who walked with the Lord for so many years and so well known, to get to in his 50s where he's saying, I'm still growing. Yep. You know, I'm still maturing. He had not reached that that level of maturity at at that point. That, and I don't think we ever reached this side of heaven. I think there's a constant growth in maturity in Christ. Don't you? Well, no, I thought you had reached it. Well, I've reached, uh, according to according to what uh, my father-in-law says. You know, basically, uh, at 27, you know, you hit the you hit the 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 apex of your <laughs> muscle growth. <laughs> And after that point, it's downhill. I've been down, going downhill for a while, <laughs> um, but no, I'm still growing. That's the, that's the encouraging I, thing I think that we could give other believers is this: is that that uh, you know you don't hit this. I made it. Uh, you're there. You got your diploma, and you've, right. you've you've conquered this thing. That there's Christian growth uh, is going should be taking place. Growing in your Christian faith yeah. should be something that's a constant. From the time that you're regenerated, made alive in Christ, until the time that God takes us home. And the minute you feel like you've arrived is a, is a pretty dangerous moment for the believer. A very dangerous moment. That That's uh, that, that uh, passage that says, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Hmm. And so there's a, there's a sense in which we stand on God's word. We want to understand. We want to connect it to Christ through his word. Yep. And, but you know, before we move on here to chapter six, we get
0: another warning passage, which we'll unpack for a few minutes before we close this week's podcast down. Again, contextually exhorting his people not to leave the faith, he, uh, saying, I shouldn't have to keep telling you this. And I think that a big picture, uh, the point he's trying to end this chapter five on is saying, at this point, I should not have to keep convincing you that Jesus is best here I am writing this letter. I've had to prove to you that he's he really is God's son again. He really is superior to Moses again. He really is superior to angels again, and he's a better priest. And he's going at some point you've got to believe Jesus is best. And if we have to keep revisiting that, then my my assumption is, or what you're showing me, is either as he says, you're dull of hearing or
1: you simply are not maturing in the Lord. Exactly. And I think that the the pattern there is basically very logical and rational in that that it's not, again, not too hard to prove that we have a need for, for Christ, that he is better. Yes. And even pointing to the, 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 the Levitical priesthood, that uh, that those guys had to offer up sacrifices for their own sins. And so this is a different thing altogether. 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 And a good maybe question for our gospel journey groups to throw
0: around is are you still wrestling with look, and I understand we all in real time don't make choices that show we believe jesus is best but even just conceptually are you still wrestling with believing jesus is the best way he's the best of all possible things Uh, and if you're not quite convinced of that yet maybe what are some barriers or hurdles getting the way could be some good fruitful discussion in your gospel journey groups um during this week Uh, bill let's uh round third head to home with with chapter six here we do get one of the warning passages in chapter 6. Now, we've touched on this in the weeks before, uh, so we're going to do a very uh, abbreviated version of dealing with this. Uh, the author is not writing this passage, in my opinion, to try to spark the debate is of are these people ever saved or not. I don't think that's the point of the passage. I, mean, I don't either. Now, we love, or some love, I don't love to, some love to have that talk. Uh, ultimately, God knows uh, and do I have personal beliefs on this? I do. All that factored out, what what remains the central point is, where is somebody at in that moment in their spiritual walk? That's the case. So I don't need to try to decide. If you come into my office and saying, you know, I, I used to follow Christ, but now I just totally disown him. I don't. In that moment, I'm not going, well, I wonder if Bill ever really was saved. I'm going in real time. I need to interact with Bill just told me he is rejecting Jesus that's the only information I need to go off of in that moment and deal with that in real time. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And I think that's what he's doing here. He's saying, I'm not trying to create a debate or pass judgment on you know, what's true of salvation." Just This is what concerns me right here, right now, with the group of people I'm writing to. And he's exhorting them, please don't leave the faith. Please don't leave the faith. Jesus is best. If you leave the faith, that tells us something. But he's not commenting on, I think, if they're historically or truly saved or not.
1: Yeah, I think I would probably, uh, I agree with what you're saying. I, I might say it differently. I might say that I think what he's encouraging them to do is persevere in the faith, continue in the faith. And um, and I think that's what the real issue is, is that, that uh, uh, and this is a difficult passage. It's one that's been talked about and used by people to, to uh, imply that, that you can lose your salvation. Now, you may be going to talk about that in another, another podcast, so I don't want to dig too deep into it. But I think all we have in this passage is I think it's not talking about someone who was a true follower of Christ, regenerated, and, and somehow managed to uh, fall away and, and, and lose what they had or, or I guess, uh, deny the faith uh, and reject the Holy Spirit's presence in their life. And, and become an apostate I think what this is it's talking is this is talking about superficial Christianity in in, in, in my opinion where people externally um, have some semblance of you know that you know on the surface they look like they could be Christians maybe they attend church maybe they've gone to Bible studies maybe they've they've uh, uh, memorized some of God's word maybe they've seen things that the Holy Spirit has done but they're not they're tasting it they're not fully, uh, 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 embracing it. And so there's an experience, but it's not, it's not a life change. There's not someone who's been made yeah. alive. So I think what, what I would say, Jamie is, in, in, in just looking at that passage, um, that I think that, uh, we do teach that, um, that w- once a person is really regenerated, that will, you're always regenerated. That's always, you're always going to be a a believer, a follower of Christ. And so what the writer of Hebrews um, uh, is saying is continue in that pursuit of Christ. Mm. Just continue in it. And there are those who are going to fall away. Uh, Don't be surprised because there's, there are going to be people who look like they're followers that aren't. Mm -hmm. So just pursue Christ. Keep pursuing Christ uh, persevering in your walk, growing in your faith. And don't, don't worry about these other things. Uh, and the mere fact that, you know, I've had people come to me before and say, Hey, what if I'm one of these? I think the mere fact that you are concerned that you might be this person is an indication that you aren't. No, that's a good point. It's like, you know, Apostle John writes to us, all that went out
0: with us, you know, weren't of us. Yes. Uh, now, as one commentator says, this passage is open to substantial differences in interpretation. And so we understand the nuances of it It being a difficult passage, uh, but just encourage our groups, gospel journey groups, to not get caught up on trying to answer you know, a 2,000-year-old question that's still been tossed and kicked around. And if you do want more on that, yes, to your point, Bill, in the previous podcast, we've addressed this at a little more length, and we're not going to revisit it. Uh, every time a warning passage comes up, and he right. resigned, I do encourage you to visit the previous weeks. And um, grateful and in agreement with the way Bill articulated that point. Okay, last last point.
1: Hey here. Jamie, can I say one more thing about that? Um, thank you, thank you, Jamie. I'm respecting my elder. the The thing that I'd say too, just in it's called in, maturity, solid food. You are you. You remind me of the guy in Hebrews chapter five at the end. Um, anyway, <laughs> you uh, you you for 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 those of uh, for you guys who are out there and you're leading a a discipleship group and you're going through the gospel journey with someone a passage like the, the hebrew six passage is a great opportunity to to do a little work and study on your own yeah yeah good point so if you would uh you know you might you might get some uh again uh dig a little deeper here uh, maybe do a little uh, spend two weeks on this passage do a little research uh, we certainly can't answer all your questions here in this podcast uh, but we you know basically what we're saying is is that uh, that this is not about losing your salvation but go go do a little reading and research of your own until you really understand that if you have additional questions come uh, come see Jamie <laughs> that's right see Jamie bill at harvestmemphis.org. It'll go <laughs> directly to me.
0: Uh, okay, it last point. The last point, and you mentioned this uh, earlier, just the idea of perseverance. Ultimately, I, we could label verses thirteen through twenty in chapter six that way. But but the whole idea is patiently waiting, being convinced of this that that God is worthy of our trust. What He has promised to come true will come true, albeit maybe not on our timeline, maybe right. not uh, via the circumstances we would have dreamed for. But Abraham waited 25 years for his promise to come true that God would give him a son. 25 years. And you know we get like 10 chapters on that that makes it seem like it was all happening, bam, bam, bam. But there were years of living in a tent, sojourning through the land, when we don't know if Abraham heard anything from the Lord or not. Now, maybe he did, but maybe he didn't. And so there is this unwavering trust that must exist in the believer that what God has promised will come to pass. That's right, Jamie. And that is kind of the catalyst towards our perseverance. Is Jesus has us secured? What God's promised to us will pass. Though in this world, sometimes it looks like uh, maybe God's distant. Maybe He disappeared. Maybe we haven't heard from Him in a while. Maybe we feel disconnected from Him. But at the end of the day, if He's our Father and we're His
1: children. Uh, we are going to be with him, and he does want to be with us. Yeah, it's just like Job said, though he slay me, yet shall I serve him. And there's that sense in which there's a, the pro- you have to trust trust the Lord in the process that through the life experiences that we have, and some of those life experiences we have can be uh, more difficult, uh, last longer, be uh, more challenging than others. But through those process, if we'll continue to put our trust in the Lord, at the end of the day, maturity takes place and growth in our faith and a deeper, not just a knowledge about God, but knowledge of God takes place. And that's what the writer is talking about in terms mm, of good. of maturing as that's a believer, right. moving from milk to meat. That's right.
0: And as we wait on the Lord, which so many of us probably are for so many different things, uh, I'm reminded of a guy that discipled me when I was pastoring in Austin, uh, said, and I've taken it to heart, though, don't live it out as well as I should, is what God does in you while you're waiting is oftentimes more important than what you're waiting for. And there is a maturity that comes in persevering and patiently waiting on the Lord and His timing uh, to to reveal to us or show us that His ways
1: are best. I couldn't agree more. And Paul the Apostle and, and the example he gives us is basically that If you look at his prayers, none of them are directed toward God, change my circumstances. Mm, They're all directed toward God, give me eyes to see, help me to to grow closer to Christ, to advance the gospel while I'm here, those type of things, and and not changing conditions or circumstances. Well, hey, we're so thankful
0: y'all joined us this week. So grateful for all of you who are in gospel journey groups or a part of our Bible studies here at Harvest, and we hope this is a blessing to you.